This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer Squad. And I hope you're ready to take the test everyone is buzzing about. Unfortunately, we can't set up our cameras to show it to you. We have to uh, deal with that camera situation. But it's 10 seconds standing on one foot and it can predict your longevity. So you stand on one foot, you can pick either foot, you place the front of your free foot around the back of the foot that's on the floor. You hold your arms at your sides and you look straight ahead and you have to hold this for 10 seconds and you can have three tries. Uh, I don't want to alarm you, but based on a, an 11-year study of 1,700 Brazilians, those who failed the balance test were nearly twice as likely to die in the next 10 years. The good news is you can fix this. So, And this according to a report published Tuesday in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. So let me give you the numbers. If you've taken the test, if you're about to take the test, or if you think that that's putting too much onus on one little 10-second test, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. 40. And now I'd like to welcome David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hey, guys. Hi, Libby. Well, uh, David was such a keener that he showed me <laughs> that he could pass the test before we went to air. And he was, you were actually standing on one leg for... 15 seconds. Almost 20. Oh, 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 wait. Sorry. I, your mic is now on. Okay, yes. I did it for almost yeah. 20, so bragging rights. But, David, uh, I hope you had a spotter when you're doing it. I wouldn't want anybody out there listening to try standing, doing this no, no, all by themselves. That's true. I did, and uh, but it worked out well. But um, I practiced this uh, uh, not just before today, but I work on balance because it ties in with core strength and fall prevention and a whole cascade of issues. So, okay, yeah. it sounds like Bill is making fun of you a bit. Bill, did well, you do it? Entitled. No, no, not not uh, yes, I have, but I've been uh, busy. You've been busy, too busy. <laughs> no, I've been. <laughs> I do it. In fact, I I do it as a part of a falls prevention program that I've taught for uh, for years. This. Uh, uh, this has been around since at least 2005, is taught in most uh, physiotherapy schools. So it's interesting that they've come out with a, a new article uh, telling us uh, something we've, we've known for, uh, for a number of years now. Well, I remember, Peter, I remember, uh, you know, studies making the connection with slower gait same kind of connection that 
people who walked really slowly and there there it had slowed down a lot again tying it to uh you know a, a longevity yeah and i i think the uh you know the, these are kind of fun ways to test your uh balance but i i i, I question their their you know they can actually say oh right that you know, it it uh, you know it predicts your longevity because I mean there are so many other factors involved, right? Like you you could just be dizzy that day or something, or you could like it, it just maybe you've had too much to drink, you know. Um, so <laughs> like, do- I I think there are many different factors involved. It's a fun test. It, it may be a good test of your core strength or your your ability to balance, but just I I would only look at it as sort of a a fun test and not. Your, your, no, you know, written and, and carved in stone, your, your fate. You know? Well, the, the, I think part of the idea is that to do this in the doctor's office, which is a, yeah. a whole other layer of anxiety added to it, but because it's, it's kind of a proxy for your overall health. Right. And, and I think I did it in my last physical, but it wasn't quite the same as David described. It was, it was more like put your arms in front of you and, and go on one foot. And he didn't say what it was testing, but he he did that test on me. So maybe maybe some doctors have incorporated it into their uh, physicals. Yeah, I think they have. And I, I think what it does is it gives the doctor one more sign. It doesn't by itself predict. And in that actual study, they said that the people who did uh, didn't make it, that didn't make it through the seven years or the follow-up that passed away, there was no one cause. There was a variety of causes from cancer to heart. To, so it wasn't like it predicts one specific thing that will cause your death, but it was just a sign of underlying uh, caution. And the doctor would then have to move in and do further tests to see uh, what was going on. Hmm. Yeah, well, if, I and- might, if I might, there, there are two things uh, uh, that uh, need to be added uh, to uh, to that. Uh, one is that uh, that the falls uh, uh, and ability to stand uh, on on one foot is very much related to the frailty scale. The frailty scale is something that can predict uh, uh, how healthy a person is and when they might die. Also, remember that falls are the number one reason for injury-related deaths and hospitalization and, and emergency department visits by older adults. So if you can't uh, do it, then you're at risk of a fall. And falls certainly uh, have a big impact on uh, on people's uh, life lifespan. So uh, so there's there's a lot of background reasons that aren't in this uh, particular article that say you should be concerned. And if you can't stand for 10 seconds on uh, on one foot, then you should be, as David said, uh, doing the things you need to do to build your core strength and to be able uh, to uh, to uh, stand that long. And you can improve it. It's not you're, it's not something that you're stuck with forever if you find you can't do it today. Let's take a call from Roger and Caledon. Hi, Roger. Hi. Uh, hey, um, interesting thing, Liddy. Just, I just want to mention a couple other things that, um, that are like this, similar to this. And I, again, I don't know how accurate these are to tell how long you live, but I saw it on a morning talk show the other day. They have, you put like a four foot um, bar and you lean forward and you put it, lay it down in front of you. Not lay it down, but you hold it in front of you and you step over it and, and then step back over it. Apparently that tells you something too. But yeah, Roger. Yeah, hi. Yeah, 
but um, sorry, I thought I was on the air there. You are on the air. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I just had a couple other things to, to mention uh, about. Um, I don't know what they call these exercises or whatever, but I saw it on a talk show the other day where you put like a four foot. Okay. Roger, you just told us about that. I think that uh... I got cut off. Okay. Well, the second one real quickly, Libby is if you sit down cross-legged and you're supposed to be able to stand up without using your hands. I think that'd be a bit difficult. Actually. I know, but that's, that tells you apparently something. Okay. Roger. (laughs) Thanks for that. Yeah, that one sounds really hard. Cross-legged. Uh, cross-legged? You, no, you sit down. Yeah, cross-legged. Cross-legged. I, I don't even know if I can cross my legs. I have knee issues. Uh, and get up without using your hands. Well, well, still what, what we normally do on the floor. Case, what we normally do is have people sit in a chair uh, with their, their legs side by side. And how many times can you stand up and sit down? within uh, 10, uh, uh, within uh, 20 seconds. And you should be able to do it at least six times. And if you okay, can, David's then... doing it now. But, I, uh, but cross-legged, I don't understand. No, no, no. You... That was cross-legged on the floor. Oh, on the floor. Yeah, I think that's hard. I think you yeah. really have to be quite fit to do that. Like, Yeah. Yeah, like getting never, up out I've of a chair. Getting up out of a chair, and they, it's they, like doing squats. I mean, yeah. you're just going down yeah. and up and down. Well, and I think what <clears throat> Bill's talking about is what they call functional fitness, yes. and there are right. certain kinds of exercise that help you with daily things, like getting out of a car. I mean, you sit pretty low in a car. Getting up out of a chair, all that stuff that you know we take for granted, especially as young people, and uh, you know there are exercises to keep that in shape. Peter, Peter, probably should be doing them, Libby, but <laughs> I'm not. You know, and I'm, I'm probably like a lot of people who think they're they're in fairly good shape, and then uh, find out that uh, you know they, they're they're not hitting it on all, uh, but certainly with with David's uh, example, I'll uh, I'll start doing more core training. Yeah, and people don't under. I mean, this is I I do these exercises that are on video every day. So and and I love having them on video, except the the same commentary every time I do them. Thank goodness, like I have there are hundreds of them in this program, but it it's people don't understand that a lot of this balance and everything is in your core and you kind of have to suck your gut in for a lot of these things. Yeah, you do. And there are some simple things you can do that, that um, I've had people advise me to do. Um, one is that the, the best single exercise, if you have to reduce it, the one thing is squats, just getting doing that chair thing up and down. On a stool oh, I know people who hate squats well, and think they're terrible. Well, there's people who think that are, I don't know, this is the other problem. Uh, yeah. you got this expert says this and that. And the other one is simply, you, you mentioned sucking in your gut. Well, I'm sucking it in right some now. People, some people say, well, you know, if you're taking a short walk, like from here to the corner, contract your abdomen during the entire duration of it. Practice contracting the abdomen for an extended, not hours now, but you know, for like a lengthy <laughs> several seconds so that you gradually get used to be able to operate like that because you have to do it you you have to put in the the effort um i'm not an expert in any of these things but uh, a little bit at a time and just being i think more aware of it um do you have good balance can you stand up 
as Bill pointed out, the core strength and fall prevention. I mean, you just have to pay attention to that and get good advice from your doctor. And and a lot of those things, by the way. So you might start out ne- needing to hold on to something, yeah. to a chair or the wall. But if you keep doing it, you will get to the point where you don't. And I think the one piece of advice that I've been given, and I've seen it in my own case, whether it's core training or strength training, um, it really works no matter how old you are when you start. So there's this popular misperception that, well, you know, I haven't been exercising until now. It's too late for me. I'm kind of stuck. No, it's up. never too late. Never too late. You can all the improvements are very dramatic if you go after it. Okay, Peter, I I hope you were hearing that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll Peter, be calling up Bill for my routine. Help, let me uh, put a plug in for our CARP information on our CARP website. The Ottawa chapter of CARP has put together an excellent uh, uh, group of articles on falls uh, prevention and strengthening, and you can find that on the CARP website. So if you're looking for some new uh, things to do to do it, Peter, I go to the CARP website. I'll do that, Bill. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, to politics, on Friday, uh, the Premier unveiled his new cabinet, and he is filling the most important slot with Sylvia Jones. She is the new Deputy Premier and Minister of Health. Uh, I and a lot of other people think that was probably the best possible choice. She was involved with the vaccine rollout. Uh, she was involved with the health tables, so she should, does. She's not coming in completely cold. She's shown herself to be competent. Um, what's your take, David? Well, I agree with you, and I think that she's also Deputy Premier, as I think yeah. Christine Elliott was as yeah. well, which shows you that the health minister, in addition to the immediate portfolio, has some influence and clout around the cabinet table. And it says to me that in addition to maybe infrastructure or building out the highway or whatever, I think that health is going to be a very big thing for this government. I think they are aware that they need to do things to make it better. And of course, we we applaud that at CARP. We'll see. We're going to keep an eye on it. Obviously, Bill can speak more to that. But I think you're right on paper. It's a You want an experienced person that knows how it all works <laughs> so so she can affect the needed changes well and and peter i mean it's the largest item it's the largest expenditure in you know that the government has and i think it's going to be the toughest job in the uh upcoming uh, parliament because um always is yeah and and even more so now that we're we have all these backlog surgery backlogs and um you know, we have a potential uh, new wave coming in the fall. It's just going to be like it, it, I. I think um, I think Elliot did a fabulous job in it. Like it, she, uh, it, you know, she was um, it was coming at her from all all angles. You know, and I, I thought she did a really good job keeping a steady ship. Um, I, I don't know Jones enough to know whether she's got those uh, capabilities, but um, certainly she's got she's going to have a busy job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there was a study that came out out of McMaster that overall Canada did a good job with the pandemic. And of course, asterisks with the exception of what happened in our long-term care homes. And of right. course, that was a different ministry. Uh, and I think we all agree that the first person in that ministry was a disaster. She's still in cabinet, Marilee Fullerton. 
Uh, but Paul Calandra is back as the Minister of Long-Term Care. Right. He kept, I would say, a pretty low profile, you know, because we were, we were <laughs> wondering if he was just a caretaker after Rod Phillips left. So what's your take on that, Bill? Well, he has, as we said when he was first appointed, he has very little obvious background uh, in the area at all, and it's hard to know how he'll work with the bureaucrats who really control what's going uh, going on in, in that area. Uh, we were disappointed that uh, somebody with more experience and knowledge in the health field wasn't uh, put into that area. So the question will be, can he manage the bureaucrats? Because it's obviously at the bureaucrat level, that expert level, where things really fell apart in, in long-term care. And he's, if he's going to be successful, he's going to have to take a strong hand with them. Well, uh, I don't know who you had in mind with more expertise in in the health field. I can't think of anyone. I mean, I don't know their resumes uh, totally intimately, but I can't think of anyone, really. Well, you, you may be right. There may have not uh, been uh, a better choice, but he, he certainly didn't have a strong background in, in health matters. Uh, but Bill Bates is an interesting point, though. Do you want somebody who's got that background in health matters, ideally, but also... What about just managerial ability to go in and say to the bureaucrats, this may have been the way you've done it up till now, but we need some new thinking. We need some accountability for performance, excuse me. We need a whole fresh look. And I think that to be successful, Sylvia Jones is going to have to manage what she's got, but almost like have a sidebar team lurking on blowing up the whole thing and doing it differently because it's not working the way they're doing it now. And the backlog is scary and it's well, not going to get better. Remember, they had this whole reorganization to Ontario health teams, which is apparently underway and more advanced in some areas than in others. And that was supposed to be, I mean, it, 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 that was supposed to be the solution because one of the big problems in healthcare has always been that it's quote siloed, right? And this was supposed mm -hmm. to bring it together where a health team has, you know, one of everything in it and they talk to each other allegedly. <laughs> And and that would make for seamless care. But it's, you know, there are hiccups and we have huge backlogs. And, uh, you know, there's, a, especially in terms of long-term care, I have not seen any evidence of new thinking. I see they promised beds. We're building beds. Every week there's an announcement of new beds, which will probably taper off now that the election is over. But there's there's also that. I mean... They are back with a really big majority. I mean, I, in a sense, that means pressure's off, Peter. I mean, they're they're fairly insulated that way, and um, so so it, it it's just up to Calandra whether he he wants to take his portfolio seriously and do something with it, or whether he's just going to coast through it and uh, you know take the nice paycheck that comes with being a minister. Um, you know he's he's got his he's got um you know everyone knows what the problems are they've been cited a million times in in a million reports and um you know it it it's a huge chance for him to to make something of his political career and and um if he's just going to go around making announcements on more beds that's uh, that's not going to solve the problem we have uh you know the leftover uh, disaster from from the pandemic
Hmm. Uh, Minister for Seniors, Raymond Cho. Well, there he is again. <laughs> he's Minister, Minister of Seniors for Life. <laughs> uh, I think there is, you know, he is, he's also the Minister of Accessibility, and that's something that's really important to uh, uh, to older folks in the province, and that is that uh, as we live longer, we get uh, older, there are more issues, more people with accessibility, and the province has to do more to uh, to to make sure that uh, people can get where they need to to go get the transportation get in and out of uh, uh, of places of of business and and actually be uh, that's probably uh, where we'll be looking at him more most closely in the next years and that is how is Ontario doing in improving accessibility for people who uh, need it and that's not just older people, but certainly uh, uh, older citizens are a big group there. Well, and, you know, I think we're behind because legally, you know, a lot of spaces that are supposed to be accessible by now are not. not. No, we are, we are, we are right. definitely behind. But it's, it's one of these positions, though, that the optics are built right into the job description as opposed to the hard-nosed results-oriented, what are you doing? Uh, you, it's easy to say the right things. It's easy to declare the right intentions. It's a topic like um, who's against more accessibility, but how does it fit in with everything else? Um, what is the Ministry of Health doing about it? What is the Ministry of Long-Term Care doing about it? You can't just have a point person going out there and making a few announcements and so I checked that box and I'm worried I'm I'm personally very worried that uh healthcare has reached a crisis point where the system is so without covid covid simply exposed it all yeah we're so close to the wire on everything we don't have enough resources for anything and they're not being deployed efficiently and we're falling further behind other jurisdictions on the next stuff we're way behind on uh, aging and aging in place technology we're like years behind other other places so um they've got a big big job to do i think they're going to need some patience i don't think we can be looking for results you know two weeks in but i hope we see some signals that they're aware of the need to uh, bring in some fresh thinking. Okay, let's hear from Barry in North York. And Barry, uh, you, you want you want to crow about you, how you're doing on the balance test? Well, I'm not bragging. I'm just it was just kind of a joke. I, I can do it in 50 minutes. So does that mean I'll live to 150 years old? <laughs> uh, 50 minutes? It says on my screen it says thought, 15 sorry, 50, seconds. 50, 50 seconds. 50 seconds. 50 seconds. Yeah. Five zero. Yeah, so yeah. does that mean I'll live 150 years old? I, I guarantee it. <laughs> Sounds good to what me, you're Barry. talking about right now. Everybody should hear this. Everybody should know what's happening, and you guys are putting it out there like it should be. Okay, thank you. Yes, that's what we're here for. Exactly. Have a wonderful day. Joy is a beautiful day. It's a perfect day. Nobody can, can complain about if it's too hot. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> no, I might say it's a little chilly for my taste. <laughs> 20 degrees after we're after having a heat wave. Um, I don't know. I would prefer 24, 25. Well, well. <laughs> San Diego beckons right? <laughs> if you want the same temperature every day. No, no, I do not want that. Um, so what are you looking ahead to 
coming week? Well, I think we're going to, uh, we are going to, we are preparing a little bit of a brief for the new Minister of Health. We're going to welcome her with a reminder about the CARP-5 and uh, an invitation to dialogue with us. I mean, Bill can speak to that as well. But we want to be constructive and we want to be positive. But the big takeaway from the election that we want, um, and CARP's working very hard at this, um, let the government know that we are entering the age of accountability. And I think this is affecting all levels of government. I think that there's a the public is in the mood to say, let me see what you're actually doing and not just what you're saying. And let me, um, some media commentators have said there's a crisis in our institutions that we don't trust the experts as much. We don't trust the received wisdom the way we used to. And because COVID also showed that um, half of them are, are guessing when they express certainty. I don't know if you saw Deborah Burks, the former senior health person in the USA, the, the uh, working with Fauci, made a statement in Congress at the end of the week that half of what they said about the vaccines was guesswork. They didn't have any idea. Is mm -hmm. it going to work? Is it not going to work? Is it going to protect you? Could you get an infection? Could you pass along an infection? She came out and said, we, you know, we sort of knew, we kind of partly hoping. So there's a lot of this kind of and I've seen second in the last guessing week, these experts. And well, and she, she, the, was, wasn't, she, wave, was, she was Trump's person. Yeah, well, she was. Okay, so there were a couple of other studies. Till one, he didn't like her anymore. <laughs> yeah. one, one from here that said Canada did really well. Yeah. And then I saw another one, an international study that said the vaccines have literally saved millions of yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, it's, yeah. it's, it's the but data. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of describing, though, the mood is there's so yeah. much opinion. There's so much. And to be fair, I think the experts now so-called have a very tough job, job with these topics because they can't know what they don't know. And the knowledge is always changing. But getting back to the origin, the origin the, we're looking, CARP is going to be looking very hard at results everywhere. What are you actually doing? What can we measure? Did you deliver? And uh, I know Bill is uh, spearheading that effort. Uh, I'm just a communicator, but that's that's kind of what we're where our heads are at right now, I think. Peter? I'd like to, um, you know, give a shout out to a former Zoomer magazine intern, David Piccini, who once again is uh, reappointed as uh, environment minister. So uh, I think, um, you know, congratulations to David. I think we taught him very well here. And, uh, <laughs> sent him on his way. You know? From intern to minister. Exactly. In yeah. 10 short years. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you taught him everything he knows. Everything he knows, yeah. Okay, well, I am very glad to hear about that. Before we go, I'm going to give a plug now, people. David has written a really interesting book about super-agers, and tonight on Vision TV, our sister station at 10 o'clock. Uh, we have a show on it where you can get all the details. I did the interview. It was really fascinating. David, anything you want to say about it no, before well, we go? Thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. And it's a look at how aging, uh, the 
getting older without getting old. That's the that's the key, and uh, you can find out all about it. And I'm very grateful for uh, for uh, the interview you gave. With me. Oh well, thank you. And I it, it takes a little bit more than the 10 second test. No, no, I know. But I hope everybody <laughs> watches. Okay, thank you, uh, thank you for that. Uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks to Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugridge, and David Kravitz. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The traffic is nearly back to pre-pandemic levels, though you wouldn't know that from some of the driving out there. People cutting each other off dangerously, going through stop signs, blocking intersections. Also, there's construction everywhere. And that is why the City of Toronto has launched the Keep Toronto Moving traffic campaign to address the construction, the congestion, excuse me, that is on our roads. The program kicked off last Thursday, will end at the end of the month, which is this week. And hey, people, if you block an intersection, you could face a fine of 125 bucks. And starting on July the 4th, that is next week, the city will also begin towing vehicles parked in the city's rush hour routes. Now, I am curious about what you have encountered on the roads, because I can tell you I've encountered all of that. And uh, trucks or whatever, they are sure that whatever they're doing is way more important than anything you might be doing. So the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome in studio Constable Sean Shapiro of Toronto Police Traffic Safety Programs and Aaron Urquhart, a parking enforcement officer. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Yes, thanks for having us. Uh, well, it's, it's as, as I said, it's so great to uh, see you in person here. Uh, so, uh, Constable Shapiro, what's going on? I mean, are people still thinking that it's pandemic times and they can just do what they want because there aren't a lot of people on the roads or what? I think that people have gotten really used to uh, getting away with stuff. They've, they've gotten relaxed and developed some really bad habits. And hopefully this campaign, uh, through education and enforcement, will help bring us back to where we should be, which is following the rules, doing what's right for uh, both uh, traffic congestion so we don't uh, disrupt the whole city and we can all get to where we're going, uh, but also safely and uh, it's, it, there's always a, a safety element here. Uh, and, and that's where this is all going. So behavior like blocking intersections or running into an intersection, there's no possible chance that you're going to get through and, and ultimately create a lockdown where you, nobody can go anywhere. Uh, th- these be- behaviors are not acceptable. And the officers out on the road now are enforcing these. And they always have been. In terms of parking. I I am seeing a return of of people who doesn't matter rush hour not rush hour just stop in their cars anywhere. Uh, I need a coffee. I need whatever I need. Uh, I need to pick up the takeout, uh, and there they are, and it can hold up you know a huge number of people. Absolutely, and you know through the the two years of the pandemic where the city was shut down for majority of the the time periods that we weren't enforcing rush hour, so drivers became very complacent with leaving their cars in the rush hour um, because again there was no enforcement. But now the city is you know full fledged. It's active. It's thriving and. And so is the traffic. So that is why we are 
We're actually beginning ticketing for rush hour today, but towing will follow next week. But uh, yeah, it's just that. Just even if you think, you know, I'm only going to be two minutes, five minutes, I'm just pulling over to pick someone up or wait for someone to come out of a subway station, it can cause massive gridlock, like Sean said. And you're inconveniencing all the other drivers who are trying to get where they're going within the city, if it's home, if it's to work, wherever. Uh, I do want to address this, and I've addressed this with the mayor in the past, and it's in terms of left turns. So there are a lot of places where a left turn is legal, uh, but there's no way you're going to be able to turn left unless you end up doing it, if you're lucky, on a yellow or on a red, because there's no advanced green. And you got to think it's almost, I mean, there, there would be absolutely no way for anyone to turn left on these busy intersections. Yeah, that, that's where the traffic congestion is, or, or volume has gotten to the point where there's no break. And no one's, of course, going to let you go through or because everyone's busy trying to get to where they're going. Everyone's more important than the others. It does create a, a problem when there's no gaps. And then you find one or two cars getting through on every cycle. And ultimately, this this all leads to it. But until there's a redesign or, or traffic studies done, we won't see changes there. Um, we, we really want to address the stuff that we can control through those driver choices, you know, the aggressive driving, uh, you know, not letting people in. And learning how to change lanes and and zipper merge. These are things that, you know, some people scratch their heads and go, well, what's that? Because we have so many people who have bad habits for just driving around the city and those things impact. And like a butterfly effect, one problem up ahead uh, turns into a huge problem a kilometer away. Yeah, the zipper merge. I mean, you're, oh, that's that's another thing that's that's a favorite. So everything is slow because you're, uh, one lane is going to be lost. And then there is some, and you're waiting patiently behind and you're letting people in. And then there's some genius who comes around and, and then, you know, sticks their nose in front of you, which is very annoying. Sure. Am I describing it the right well, way? I, I think so. And, and ultimately that person sticks their nose in because they see an opportunity instead of driving 500 or more meters ahead where there's an empty lane uh, would allow people to actually uh, move forward and then zipper merge where people would let every other vehicle in nicely, you know, cooperatively. But many people don't do that. They just want to get in. And, and uh, once they're in, then everybody flows properly. Well, it's very confusing. No, they come around. Uh, where the lane is tapering off, mm-hmm. but they sort of zip there while everybody's waiting patiently, and then they ideally you use all the space available, and uh, you would you would merge at the end as opposed to the beginning of that lane. Uh, but it, 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 there's uh, there's great videos on YouTube that really describe the best way to do it. But we're not all watching the same YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of parking, what are you finding that are kind of the worst? offenses these days? Well, a lot of it is uh, because through the pandemic, you know, a lot of people started doing Uber or um, food delivery couriers, right? So a lot of it is, well, my main focus out on the road, I'm usually on a bicycle and I patrol the bike lanes. So a lot of it is people just thinking they can pull into a bike lane very quickly to go run into a restaurant, go grab their takeout order, whichever, pull in to pick up a passenger. And that is endangering cyclists. And that's why their bike lanes are there. It's for cyclists, so they're not riding on the roadway. roadway. Um, But also, like, why we're bringing rush hour back is because, like, the congestion, it's so bad within downtown. So, and it's, again, people parking in those live lanes of traffic and inconveniencing everyone else, stopping and having to go around that traffic, even though you're stopped there for a moment. Uh, That was another thing. 
that happened yesterday on a Sunday. I was uh, sort of stopped behind somebody trying to turn left and the person behind me went into the bike lane. Yeah, so that's not acceptable either. That's not a it's not a passing lane. It's not a driving lane. Even if you know there is an opening there, again, you don't know. Yes, cyclists be, could be coming right behind they you. They come up pretty fast. Yeah, and, and sorry. I, was go ahead. Say, I, I think one of the problems is when we see this congestion, people get frustrated. There's all yeah. sorts of ways that comes out, and one of them is making really bad decisions that are unsafe because they're frustrated. And, and unfortunately, it's not an excuse. They still are causing issues, and uh, you know we want to protect vulnerable road users like cyclists and pedestrians. And when people get frustrated and make these rash decisions, last minute lane changes to get where they're going because they're very important, they didn't leave themselves enough time to get to where they need to be. Well, then we have collisions and collisions further cause uh, delays and traffic. So we want to have everybody get to where they're going safe uh, and do it in co- cooperatively following all the rules. If, how how big a ticket is it if, if you pull into a bike lane to go around? Uh, simply driving in the bicycle lane is that 150? Well, if it's for an HTA offense, I'm not sure. But H- for for oh, to, pu- to, to pull it, if you're pulling into a bike lane to park or stop, from our perspective, it's a 150 dollar ticket. If but, you stop momentarily in the bike lane, no. But if you just go in there to go around to get around, driving in and operating a motor vehicle in it is is in and around the same dollar uh, value. But uh, you can't be in there for any reason unless there's an area like you're driving through it in, to get into a parking lot. You're driving directly across. It, then you're you're allowed to. There's certain areas marked for uh, for in and out essentially. I think uh, we've got to take another break, but I think part of the issue is also there's a lot of confusion about what what some of these things mean. Yes, there are different bike lanes in every intersection. They're they're they were designed and implemented at different times, so very often they're different, and you have to be aware of how each one operates. Okay, uh, we have something exciting to talk about <laughs> when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am in the studio with Constable Sean Shapiro of Toronto Police Traffic Safety Programs and Aaron Urquhart, a parking enforcement officer. And uh, we are also bringing in Brian Patterson of the Ontario Safety League. And people, we will be taking your calls. Uh, Hi, Brian. How are you? Uh, All's well. All's well, Libby. I'm up in Sudbury. The weather couldn't be better, and the fishing yesterday was superb. Okay. Okay. We're we're jealous. But in the meantime, Brian, before the break, we were talking about bike lanes and how there are different kinds of bike lanes— and right turns can be very tricky and dangerous. Uh, from your perspective, uh, what is the safety issue with navigating different kinds of bike lanes? I, I, I think uh, there's really an opportunity here for uh, the city to take a look at it from an engineering perspective. Because I think everybody's been caught somewhere in the city where it's uh, incredibly difficult to make our uh, a right uh, turn, or when someone in front of you is making a left, it may block the ability to proceed through the intersection. So to keep people safe, I think we want to look at that. But uh, as you know, I'm a, a fully in support of the uh, of the uh, police ticketing initiative. I think uh, Superintendent ba- Baptist said it well when he said, uh, we're doing it for safety and we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Oh, yeah. It just, you know, sometimes 
uh, and I'm speaking for myself as well, you can do bad things because you're impatient or whatever. You're at fault, basically. And sometimes it's just, oh, my goodness, what do I do here? Oh, so often as well, the, 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 the bad behavior of one person can channel back through the line. So one person decides, I don't care, I'm going to block the lane until I get through. Uh, they, they impact on five or six other drivers. Uh, you know, I think uh, our uh, uh, both uh, uh, the traffic officers and parking control officers see the fact that somebody being belligerent for a minute can cause five, six, seven minutes of frustration, which after a while, uh, it's uh, it's just a mess for uh, for everybody else to try to deal with. Absolutely. It's a mindset. One person does something and it takes uh, someone off their course. They could have been smiling and happy and now they're miserable and becoming more aggressive as they continue on their day. And uh, you were mentioning a type of bike lane that was very confusing that you had to uh, find in the entrails of the city plan. Uh, amazingly, as much as I, I claim to know many things, uh, I could not figure out how to describe uh, the purpose of a particular bike box. And I had to... Uh, it was bike something, box? It's a, it's a green box that is in the midst of a T intersection after the lights in the middle. And I just, I'd never seen one before. Uh, so I reached out to some of my friends in the city of Toronto who pointed to me the page like 278 of a particular guidebook, but the average person would not know what that is. And, uh, which is why we, you know, when and I what go was on, it? Well, ultimately it's a place where a cyclist can wait safely waiting for the light to change and then cross uh, against traffic in the with the signal, but not uh, inside the crosswalk. But it was a very unique thing. And I have to show you a picture to describe it because I'm not doing it justice. But if I don't know what it is as a traffic officer, then many other people don't either. And no kidding. <laughs> okay, let's take a couple of calls. We've got David in Toronto. Hello, David. Hi, good afternoon, Libby. How are you today? Fine, go ahead. You're on the air. Thank you. Um, so the question is for the police officer, and I'm going to use a... Uh, I, I have known a police officer that has been retired, and I have been at the community meetings where a police officer has been there and, and talked to the community. So the question is this. Let's say we have a police officer that has been contracted out to a construction site, and there is traffic that is violating the Motor Traffic Act. That constable is his responsibility, from what I have been told, is to the construction site that he's been contracted out to, as opposed to diverting his attention away from that and enforcing the law. Is this true, yes or no? Yes, it is true. They are responsible for doing what they're hired to do by the contractor. Uh, if uh, if you're working and controlling traffic for one, you can't stop doing what you're doing uh, to write a ticket. Now, you could pull a car over. You could call for another car. It's not always an option. It's not a perfect situation. Uh, the priority is the job that they're hired to do, and usually that's directing traffic and not enforcing the Highway Traffic Act. Now, I have nearly been hit while directing traffic at a paid duty site, and I have stopped a car, and I have charged them. Uh, so there's always it depends on the situation but there if you were to go and be hired to control traffic and do nothing but write tickets there'd be a problem there okay i so, hope that answers the question thanks david that's a good question let us go to sita in mississauga hello sita hi everyone i understand what you're saying libby my husband was driving in a turning lane entering the intersection on green the light changed to red and cars are still going through now, we didn't have a choice. We have to turn in a red light. So how is a police officer going to go about charging someone for ch- turning in a red light, especially if there's a camera there, too? How do they 
Go about it. I can answer that for you. If you're in the intersection waiting to turn and you're unable to do so and the intersection or the light of the intersection turns red, you have an obligation to clear it, but you're not liable uh, for running the red light. You you were lawfully in the intersection waiting to turn. That's different than entering or crossing the stop bar after it's turned yellow or red. And uh, there's a lot of confusion. People don't realize that a yellow light means stop unless it's unsafe to do so. Ah, and so, okay, good. I, I I have to do that. I'm 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 fessing up. But one of the reasons you sometimes have to do that is the people who are going straight. As soon as the light turns yellow, a lot of them just gun it and go through the intersection, which is incredibly exactly. dangerous, right? And illegal. Because if I'm an officer who's observing the intersection, when I see that turn yellow and I see someone accelerate to get through, it means that they did not uh, do what they were supposed to do, which is slow down and stop. It's only during emergency situations where it would be unsafe. That point of no return that we always talk about, that's what uh, the only time you can go through an intersection on a yellow. Hmm. And how much how much is that ticket? It's the same, I believe, as uh, simply running a red light. And it comes with the same demerit points. It's a fish equi- equivalent as, as running a red light. Okay. I hope you're listening out there, people who do that. Because And I mean, sometimes the, the stress of it is you're not quite sure what the person is going to do. If they're going really fast, you think, are they going to stop? Well, if you're crossing the street and you're waiting to make a turn, that puts a lot of pressure on you because you don't know. You know, It's a yellow light. You make an assumption that you can make a left turn. A lot of collisions occur in that short window when the light changes yellow. You're assuming it's good for you to make that turn and here someone hits the gas and does what you're, they're not supposed to be doing and causes a collision. And you're both responsible for different things. Right. And I always thought that in, in terms of who is considered to be at fault, it's the person turning. Turning, yes. However, you may have some obligation or some responsibility if you're accelerating through an amber light. Uh, and it depends on what's caught on camera, what the witnesses say, and a number of things that the investigating officer will look at. Oh, okay. Complicated. Uh, Brian, do you have uh, a view of that? My, uh, my concern is much like the officers. Well, the, the space within that intersection and some of the speeds that people start going. So, they're, uh, they're 20 feet back from the intersection. The light turns yellow. They hit the gas because they want to be into the intersection before it turns red. By the time they make their turn, they're crossing the other corner of that intersection, sometimes at 70, 80 kilometers an hour. We didn't set the speed on that road at 50 for no reason. So the risk to pedestrians, the risk to cyclists, and the T-bone uh, collisions all result from that one decision to say, I can't afford to wait for this light. I'm going to put everybody else at risk or I'm going to blow through. Sometimes you've got kids on the, uh, uh, on the sidewalk waiting to, to enter. They, see the, they don't see you coming. They see the light change and they start to move forward. If you hit somebody at 70 kilometers an hour, uh, you're going to a funeral. Absolutely. There, there are so many people who don't understand this. And, and you, until you put it into uh, words or perspectives that they can relate to, it's useless. I was speaking to a good friend of mine, Ashley. He says, uh, uh, I can go through uh, yellow lights as long as I'm crossed the line before it turns red. And he had no idea. And he's hmm. been driving for as long as I have. It's a long time, apparently. Hmm. I have been meaning to ask. Uh, I had some issues with the parking app last week. The Green P app. I the Green P yes. app. I, there were a number of places where I checked the sign three times. I was parking legally, but the app would not work. And then I'd go on to the next place and the app worked fine. 
Yeah, that's I, I, I can't really speak to that. That is a green pea sort of issue. They are a separate entity than us. But I do, I have heard uh, numerous complaints. I've actually had trouble with it myself recently. They, they made a recent update to the app uh, re- recently. <laughs> and apparently it's giving a lot of people issues. Like my issue was I couldn't put my credit card information oh. in. I would put it in and it would say it's not accepted. So right. yes. I, I was, you know, I had to go dig for change and go to the meter and hope that the change, it would take my change. I, I was fortunate. I was with a friend whose credit card information oh, was Oh, it didn't safe. take the change either. Some t- yeah, some of these green pea parking meters, are they get jammed up. They're very old. Um, so it's our responsibility as parking officers to actually check those meters before we start enforcing on those streets to make sure that they're functional. Because if they're not functional, we, are sh- we shouldn't be enforcing them. But you should also not be parking there if you can't pay. Well, you don't know that you can't pay before you park. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, the, the assumption then is that you can't pay, so you should move your vehicle, which is disappointing. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah. That, that's that's a little that's a little too much to expect, in my opinion. I that's mean, just our policy. I don't make the rules. I just enforce yeah. that. No, but, but here's the thing: you might be right, but you may also have a ticket that you have to then go through all the headache of, of uh, responding to. If you can't pay and you and you can't reach anybody who says you're good to go, then your best bet reaching is to someone. You're joking. I'm joking absolutely yeah. because it's impossible. <laughs> so to avoid the headache, I would just move your, my vehicle somewhere where I can park, and it's not. Ideal, but it is the answer. I think. Okay. All righty. Uh, we have like a, a maybe two minutes left, okay. so we'll, we'll go to the phones. Uh, okay. Peter in Mississauga has a question. Hi, Peter. Uh, yes. Um, I um, I see often uh, making a le- people making the left turn on an advanced green, and instead of taking the left turn, they make a U turn. So it slows everybody down. I don't know if that's legal or not. If it's not signed otherwise and it's safe to do so, then it is legal. Uh, there's okay. a number of places where it's not legal. Um, most intersections don't fall into that. So if it's not signed otherwise, generally speaking, you're good to go. Oh, I thought it's only where it was signed to say you can do it. I mean, I live near St. Clair and, and all the signs say you turn permit it. So, it, it, so it, that's to really spell it out for you. But generally speaking, it's legal unless signed otherwise, unless you're on a bridge close to a curve, edge of uh, uh, rise and grade where there's vision issues. Um, otherwise, it's it's legal. Okay. But this is one of the most dangerous things you can do, and you are totally responsible if it goes wrong. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, but in, not in the place where it says you turn permitted and you're you, on well, an advanced you're, you're still on a turn, and uh, you're still responsible for making that turn safely. At the end of the day, if you're moving your vehicle, it's on you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let us take a call from Jan in Guelph. Hi, Jan. I'll be quick because time's running out. Uh, when I was taught many, many years ago, and I'm pretty sure it's still the truth now, that if you want to turn left and it's on a green light, it's on an amber light, you've just come into the intersection. There's only one car allowed in the intersection. Nobody should be behind you. They should stay behind the line. Um, I, I don't know of anything in law that says you can't have two if there's room to allow it. Um, certainly, that's not something that uh, that we're, we're focusing on. But I, I'm not aware of any rule that says you can't do it. Good practice, I'd say. Okay, Jan, thanks for that. Okay, uh, we are just about out of time. I think we're going to have to do another segment on this real anytime, soon. Anytime, anytime. Uh, and again, it's great to see you. And thank you so much, Brian Patterson, Aaron Urquhart, and Constable Sean Shapiro. Thank you for having yes, us. Yes, thank you indeed. Okay, and, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.